Turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians as we continue our study of Paul's epistle. This morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. And this section today, we've seen this type of section before, but it is another prayer that Paul offers for the church in Ephesus. And as we've said other times when we've studied particularly the prayers of Paul, they're helpful to us because these are opportunities to grow and mature our prayer lives. I think it's all something that that all of us, every single one of us would say, I would love to be better at praying. And so it's right for us at these times to see how did the Apostle Paul pray and then add that to our categories of prayer. I want us to mature in our prayer lives for ourselves and for one another. Because each one of us, each one of us is called to pray. Sometimes we are trapped in the temptation that if my prayers only count if I'm eloquent or they're long or they're done behind a podium like this and that there's something, we would never say it out loud, but we feel like there is a magic behind a Sunday morning prayer behind a lectern by a guy who has studied the Bible Maybe a little bit more than us, but who knows? I don't know who I'm talking about. But this is something we are all called to do. And it's not your eloquence. It's not your, even your ability to think up great prayers, which we'll see at the end of this passage. But I want to help you be confident in your prayer life and to mature it so that you pray according to the Word of God. And central to this is is a category that we're going to see this morning of praying for strength. Now this might feel one of these normal categories for what we should pray for. But what I think might surprise you in today's text is why Paul is praying for strength for the Ephesians. Normally, we think of prayers for strength, for endurance, for overcoming of sickness, for persevering under persecution, and these are great prayers that are in your Bible. But central to the passage today is a prayer for strength to change. And that might be thinking a little different than what you're used to. As I was reading this, it reminded me of what a friend used to say when he was trying to recruit kids to uh, people to volunteer for kids ministry. He would encourage them to work with kids because he said working with adults is like trying to mold concrete. We all, if we're honest with ourselves, understand the difficulty of change in our own lives. And so when we think about it, we understand 
why we should pray for the strength to change for ourselves and for others. So what we're going to see today is that we need strength to change and that change for godliness needs the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's turn to the text. Let's begin. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Follow along as I read. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now if you notice, Paul comes back to this for this reason. I mentioned this last week. That it was like he was going to give a prayer at the beginning of chapter 3, but then wanted to talk about some other things first, but now he's coming back to his prayer. The for this reason then points us back to the beginning of chapter 3, but also to the end of chapter 2. Because God has saved us by grace, and because he is the God who saves both Jew and Gentile into one family of God, we pray to him. Now, a couple things we need to notice in this prayer. First of all, it is significant that Paul bows in prayer because the common posture of prayer at that time, both in Judaism and early Christianity, was standing. And so when we see Paul depart from the normal pattern, we need to take notice. What is he trying to emphasize He's trying to emphasize a posture of humility and a posture that recognizes that God is the true king of the universe because that, back in that culture, that's who you bowed before. But not only is God the king, this almighty king is our father. I bow my knees before the father. This king... This God is not some distant tyrant like the kings of that day. This king is our father who cares for his people. And he is the God and father and king, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now in that culture, naming had more significance than just labeling, as in our culture. About this, one author writes, So for God to give creatures a name was not simply to provide them with a label, but signifies his bringing them into existence, exercising dominion over them, and given each their appropriate roles, their existence and significance depend on him. Now the reference to both in heaven and earth is to communicate to us that this is every single being in the universe, both in the natural world and in the spiritual world. Paul begins his prayer by pointing us to the true God of the universe to whom we pray. A God who has dominion over the entire universe and is also the Father Who cares for us? And so in verse 16, he turns now to the content of his prayers as he has focused our attention on the God to whom he prays. 
Let's look beginning in verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now before we take each of these parts in turn, I want to point out one thing that many commentators highlight. And that is in the last part of verse 19, where it says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Many take this to be the summarizing request of this list. And so I want to mention it at the top, but also spend some time on its own later. But as we think through these different requests, I want you to keep that rubric of being filled with the fullness of God. So let's look at that first one, beginning in verse 16, a strength to be more like Jesus. Again, let me read verses 16 and the first part of 17. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. First, in this request, we see, we are reminded that God will answer this request according to the riches of his glory. Paul has spoken of God as having riches throughout this book, highlighting for the Ephesians and for us the generosity of God. God is generous and lavishes blessings on his people. We can also apply that to God answering our prayers. God generously answers our prayers. And according to his great generosity, Paul prays that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Let's break up those into the individual parts here. First, strengthen with power in your inner being. Connecting back to verse 13 of chapter 3, where the Ephesians were warned not to lose heart over what Paul was suffering, here Paul positively prays for them not to be discouraged, but to be strengthened. And that as the God of all power that we saw at the end of chapter 1, Paul prays that God would empower his people. And Paul places this empowerment in, quote, your inner being or the center of the person. And what I think Paul is trying to communicate there is when he says the inner being, he is saying that this empowerment affects every single part of your life. But important, secondly, that this is done through the Spirit. Paul tells us that this empowerment is one aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as every believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling them, and so we can pray for each other that the Holy Spirit would strengthen and empower. But we need to notice that it is the Holy Spirit doing it. 
We're not just praying for our fellow believers to just try a little harder. This is not weightlifting or doing exercise. This is the Holy Spirit transforming our lives. And what's the point? Why do we need to be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit? Look at the beginning of verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Again, where I think we would naturally go when we're talking about empowerment, we would think to overcome or to persevere. But again, let your mind see what is there in that it's sort of communicated in a way we might not expect. So what does it mean to pray that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith? I thought he already dwelt in my heart through faith. So why do we need to keep praying for it? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. I think we're helped in understanding by this by understanding the nature of faith. We can speak of faith in two ways. One, we can speak of faith as that initial act of faith where we place our personal trust in Christ to be saved, and that never needs to be repeated. You don't need to keep saving yourself. But we also understand that faith also has an ongoing component. That while it begins with that initial act of faith, it begins a lifelong daily trusting in Christ. And that's where I think we see with this idea of Jesus dwelling in our hearts. That it is this ongoing presence of Jesus. And this ongoing presence of Jesus results in our transformation to be more like Jesus. And I appreciate how one author writes about this. If Christ has taken up residence in our hearts, he is at the center of our lives and exercises his rule over all that we are and do. The more the Spirit empowers their lives, the greater will there be their transformation into the likeness of Christ. The Spirit's empowerment in our lives leads to our transformation to be more like Jesus. And again, we need to add this into our categories of prayer for ourselves and for others. God, that by your Spirit, you would empower my fellow believer to be more like Jesus and have the strength to do so. This leads to the next prayer for strength, beginning in the second part of verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. First, Paul begins by describing the Ephesians as being rooted and grounded in love. 
The best way to understand this is that as we are united to Christ in faith, God's love for us is the foundation of our lives. And he uses both an agricultural term and a building term to talk about this. To be rooted. You picture the roots of a large tree. That our solid foundation is found in the love of God for us. And this idea of grounded makes us think of a building and the foundation upon which that building stands. Again, we're helped by one commentator who puts it this way, Love is the soil in which believers are rooted and will grow, the foundation upon which they are built. And this description of the solid, foundational nature of the love of God for us leads to this second request. A strength to comprehend the love of Christ. Again, sit in that for a second. That's not a normal way we think of strength. Look again, verse 18. May have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Because the foundation of our life is Christ's love, we need prayer for strength to understand Christ's love. This idea of strength to comprehend is an interesting one because in other contexts, it's utilized in writing about combat. And so using our American vernacular, let me suggest to you the following word picture. That we would have the strength to wrestle with God's love. This active picture leads to the second part of verse 18, that we would comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love, that we would grasp all the dimensions of God's love. Again, as one author writes, Paul prays for power to enable them to understand how immense God's love is. You know, when I go to a zoo or an aquarium or see animals out in the wild, I'm always drawn to the large animals. Let's not psychoanalyze that too much. There is something neat about tiny organisms that exist and the intricacies therein. But when you see a giant old rhino or a whale, you're just struck by the immensity of that animal we would do well to wrestle with the immensity of God's love. But this leads into verse 19 that I think adds another layer to what Paul is praying for here. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love of which we are to study the dimensions cannot be measured. The greatness of the love of Christ for us surpasses knowledge. Plumbing the depths of the love of God is a lifetime pursuit. And this is another example 
upon which the commands of the second half of this book rest. We've talked about this before. How chapters 1 and th- one through 3 set the foundation for the commands of 4 through 6. And here's how these connect. That when we understand the unknowable love of God for us, only then will we love one another. We won't love others unless we understand the immensity of the love of God for us. One passage that I found helpful in understanding this dynamic is Luke chapter 7. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Now, the immediate context is specifically on forgiveness, but I think it'll be easy to see how these fit together. This idea, if if I do not understand the greatness of God's love, then I won't be loving to others. Luke 7, 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. We only need to modify that slightly to our context here to help us understand. If you think you are loved little by God, then you will love others little. But if we know that we are greatly loved then we will love others greatly. This leads to the final petition of the prayer in the second part of verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As I mentioned before, many people see this as the summarizing request of this prayer. Think of it this way, that we can speak of someone being a godly person or growing in godliness. And that is the message of this petition, but said in a little different way than we normally would. But I think it's helpful to us to truly understand what is going on here. That when we trust in Christ, we are made right with God. And the rest of our lives is filling up our lives with godliness and holiness. I like the picture of being filled because there's a totality in that picture. That every aspect of our lives, every nook and cranny of our existence is being filled with godliness. That in everything we do, we do the godly thing. And since the fullness of God is beyond our comprehension... We never stop being filled. God never runs out of godness with which to fill us. Every day we want to be more and more godly. But more precisely, every day the Spirit is at work in us by God's power to transform us. Let me challenge you to pray that for yourself and for others. That God would be transforming and changing you to be more like him. That he would be filling you with his fullness through his spirit. And again, it's important to note where this fits 
in the passage of the whole book. That it is after this prayer that we move to chapters that have more and more commands of what that life looks like. We don't just do the commands because God likes bossing people around. We follow the commands of God because that is the process through which we are being filled with the fullness of God. And doesn't that change the nature of obedience? It moves from, and if I don't do it right, God's going to smite me, to when I follow the word of God, I am being filled with the fullness of God. But before we get there, I want to ground these requests in a confidence in praying them that Paul gives in the last two verses of chapter 3. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's prayer concludes with what we call a doxology or words of praise, giving worship to God. God is described as the one who is able to answer our prayers. He is the one who can answer our prayers according to the power at work within us. We pray to God because he is able to answer our prayers unlike any other God that someone may try to worship. But for our purposes this morning, I want to focus on specifically how God answers our prayers according to these verses. God is, quote, able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. First of all, God is immensely gracious to us. He does far more abundantly than we pray. But I want you to feel the weight of that next phrase. Far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. God answers prayers infinitely better than you pray them. God provides for you better than you ask or even think to ask. This gives us peace in our prayers. God's response is not dependent on our ability to pray or our performance of prayers. It also gives us confidence that when God does answer prayer, it is for our good and for his glory. This is why God sometimes says no or not yet to our prayers because he knows what is best. We pray big prayers because he is generous. And we also pray confident prayers because he gives better than we ask. This declaration of praise is meant to encourage and push us to pray. And it ends on a note of worship. This God who answers prayers deserves our praise and worship He deserves praise throughout all generations, forever and ever. 
Amen. A couple thoughts as we close this morning. Number one, pray for the Holy Spirit to empower your fellow believer to be more like Jesus. One aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to empower Christians as they seek to follow Jesus. The goal of this empowerment is for us to be more like Jesus. And we must remember that the point of our lives is to be more like Jesus. But because of this work of the Holy Spirit, you can endure suffering. You can do what is right when you are under stress and pressure. You can be faithful in a following, fallen world because the Holy Spirit is strengthening and empowering you. And he is strengthening and empowering you to change you to be more like Jesus. And remembering the direct context of prayer in this passage, this is another way that we need to pray for one another. That the Holy Spirit would empower our fellow believer to live a godly life following Jesus in everything that they do. Pray for your fellow believer to be more like Jesus. Pray for your fellow believer to be filled with the fullness of God. Secondly, pray for your fellow believer to be empowered to understand the immensity of God's love. We have the lifelong assignment of understanding the love of God. We too often think of God's love too small. We too often think of God's love as limited. Pray for others to be strengthened to know the unknowable. Pray for others to drink deeply the immense love of God. Because it is when we know the love of God that we are able to love others. When we know we are loved much, we will then love one another. Finally, number three, God will answer your prayers better than you asked. Our God is the God who answers prayer. He is perfectly able by his power to grant our requests. He is immensely generous in how he answers our prayers. We can have confidence when we pray, not in our ability to pray and ask, but confidence that he will give us what is best, better than what we can even ask or think. We pray for others, and we pray for ourselves that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would transform us to be more like Jesus. And we pray knowing that God will answer that prayer better than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you do answer our prayers that this passage would encourage us to pray and pray for one another. That we would pray knowing that you answer better than we can even ask or think. And that we would pray for transformation. That we would pray for ourselves and for others to change, to be more like Jesus. And that we would pray for the strength to understand the immensity of your love 
and subsequently live lives of love for one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.